Welcome to the IAB UK podcast. Hello, James here, and you're listening to the IAB UK podcast. My guest this week is Nicola Kemp, Editorial Director at Marketing Intelligence Platform and Pitch Consultancy, Creative Brief. Nikki's background is as a journalist and editor for the likes of Reuters, The Guardian, Marketing Magazine and Campaign. She's a member of Wackle, an advisor to Creative Equals, and many of you listening will have, I'm sure, seen and heard Nikki chairing and speaking at ad industry events. Our conversation focuses in on the arm wrestle we're all having with our bosses, our teams, even ourselves, about working from home and flexible working, particularly on the pressure parents are coming under to be back working at their desk in the office. We talk about Nikki opening up about her own return to work after maternity leave over a decade ago and crucially what's changed and still needs changing but we start with something fundamental to every single event the IB produces and that's the dice charter a set of guidelines for conference and event producers that helps deliver a representative and diverse set of speakers and perspectives as one of its co-founders I start by asking Nikki to take us back to how and why DICE came about. DICE is a really interesting story because essentially it's a great proof point that frustration can be fuel. Mm. You know, a bunch of us got together and really discussed why we were still seeing so many industry events dominated by white men. Mm. And often we would be calling them out as individuals on LinkedIn saying, have you considered not having a manual? I host lots of panels. I'm often asked to chair panels that are all male panels. And Mm. I'm constantly saying having a woman chair, that doesn't mean that you're having a progressive, diverse panel. Also, industry events were getting so boring. (laughs) It's the same people saying the same things. So there's a real business case for this as well, right? Because it's just dull. But on a serious level, I think when you have a panel that doesn't show the diversity of the industry, effectively what you're doing is you're saying to diverse talent when they ask, is this industry for me? Mm. You're saying no. Mm. So it was really Amy Keane that was the engine of it all because she is such a great change maker. Cindy Gallup has this great quote, which is, I communicate through demonstration. Right. Like, I don't write a blog post about it. I go and do something mm. about it. And I think Amy's very much like that. Yeah, she, 100%. She does drive a lot of change. So she got us together and it was a really quick process. We created a really simple framework. Mm -hmm. James Watley, who was at Digitas at the time, but now is at Diva, which is an amazing agency actually in the gaming space. Yeah, we spoke at our Gaming Upfronts last year. Yeah, fabulous. Such Such a smart person. And he really helped get together a framework which is really just based on the Equality Act. So the protected Mm -hmm. characteristics within that. And our aim was a real simple one. It was just let's show conference producers what good looks like Mm. and let's do it in a way that is super inclusive. So nobody at DICE is making any money. It's a not-for-profit. It's all just run by volunteers. So sometimes we're not the fastest at responding to people, Mm. but we always showing what brilliant looks like. So Shalina Jam Mohammed, she just entered her incredible podcast for DICE certification. And I learned so much from actually yeah. just reading her entry mm. because what she'd done is she'd set out at the very start 
to really think about diversity in a holistic sense, everything from accessibility to am I paying my guests, mm. like all these different things. Mm. And I think definitely as someone who has a lot of conference experience behind the scenes as well, sometimes what can happen is that diversity is an afterthought. Yeah, 100%. And then you mm. see that, the audience sees that. And no. also it makes the content really bland as well. So I think with DICE, what we really wanted to provide was a real open source resource. Yeah. And yeah. I know not everyone is on the same page with this. And I know some people are quite aggressive, actually, when you say, you know, this is another all white, all male panel. There was a panel last week on the future of journalism, which I think had like four I Matthews saw, on saw it on LinkedIn. Ridiculous. And it's really important because I think if we want to make a better, more inclusive industry mm. and less boring events, then really we do need to embrace diversity. And I think there's a lot of different levers for change. And we've really seen in DICE that actually a really key lever for change is the people appearing on the panels, the sponsors. Yeah. It's not just about the yeah. conference organisers. Yeah. If you're a white male CEO and you're on a panel with four other white male CEOs, and there's some conferences that do it year in, year out, mm. then you're part of the problem. 100%. So I think with DICE, we've been really lucky because we've had loads of support from, and we've been given free media space, yeah. run advertising campaigns, which has been um, incredible. Mm. And we've got loads of volunteers that, that help, but really is a collective effort. Mm. And that's something that's really important to us. The other bit is I never get the sense that you want to, and perhaps I've seen it recently, you don't want to be like the diversity police. It feels like the intention was never to, because I guess if you wanted to make it perfect, you'd still be designing it now and sort of keeping it back for and sort of releasing it into the world when you think it's ready. But as you said, to get that framework out there, you're not going around like attending conferences, doing secret shopper, you know, marking exactly. people. And we're always learning. I did an event last week um, at Havas for Inc Inclusion Week and they brought all their employee resource groups together. And actually the panel, they made some really, really great suggestions. Mm. So, for example, saying your pronouns at the beginning of a panel, describing yourself for people who are visually impaired. Mm. And all these things are really great because actually... A lot of events are hybrid now. Yeah. So you're just thinking more generously about who's at home, who's in front of a computer, who's in the space, and also what messages are we sending out? Particularly at the moment, the political ecosystem is very sharp-edged. Yeah. Like, how are we actually being allies to different communities? Yeah, goes without saying, you know, it's incredibly important to us. I remember when we did our leadership summit, perhaps it was the, the last one before COVID, the first one after it in March. And we had it written out, literally very intentionally go through. And it's something that Tom, our head of marketing, you know, that's, that's his thing. He's holding people to account on it. And we've also got to think about when we, the IB, are going out and doing stuff. Like, I don't want to be in Amy Keane's LinkedIn feed as part of a mantle. It's not the reason I'm saying, no, I'm pushing yeah. back on it. Like, why are we making all of this effort to kind of do it and then me to go and do something where it's not? So I love your point on whether you're a sponsor, whether you're going to attend it, whatever it is. You know, it can't just be the event producer who, not excuses, but it might not be an intentional thing. It's just that they're trying to do lots of things and they haven't thought yeah. about it. So I think anyone who can... I feel like that's the only way it kind of gets better if we're all kind of chipping 100%. away at this thing. 
And also the other thing that I think it's really important to be honest about is I've spent two decades in journalism, spent a lot of time doing conferences. Mm. And actually, I find that men say yes 80% more than women. Yeah. I have so many conversations with incredibly talented, accomplished women who are telling me that they don't have the required level of knowledge to appear on a panel, whereas I will sometimes have men who don't really know that much about the topic that are like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Why not? Just winging it. Of course (laughs) I'll do it. You know, there's sort of something hardwired within me, which is like, well, yeah, you obviously think I'm the best to do it because you've asked me. There's no seed of doubt there. And I think it's really important to be honest about that because that's a double challenge. One, it's for businesses. They need to be doing a lot more to ensure that they are making sure that senior women and diverse talent within their organisation is getting the training and skills that they need to appear on conference platforms and public speak. And secondly, it's just that empathy with conference organisers. Yes, it's harder, but it doesn't mean it's not important. It's really important. Yeah. Let's switch gears from DICE to another, uh, something I'm very passionate about, which is working from home, returning to work. There can't be anyone in the industry who isn't wrestling with this at the moment. Every week there's a different headline about what company or agency is doing policy-wise. This lovely utopia I think we had when we first came out of lockdown that actually we can, we've realised we can do our jobs whenever we want, feels like it's in a bit of a different place now talk to me a bit about where you stand on this your interest where does that sort of passion come from around definitely I think this is such an interesting and important topic I'm lucky enough to be part of WACL Women in Communications London and during Covid worked on a flexible first framework Mm -hmm. which is a open source tool it's completely free anyone can download it from the WACL website and it just shows you some of the proof points, some of the stories, but also just the really simple way that you can embrace flexible working as a business advantage. I think flexible working is the number one way to close the gender pay gap. It is the number one way to make the office more accessible, to make the creative industries more Mm. accessible. We have a huge problem with talent. We have a massive problem with talent retention. You can see it in the all-in census. Mm -hmm. And at the same time... We have a massive exodus of female talent from the workforce at the moment. And that's having a hugely negative impact on our creative output. It's why we're still telling women to fight the signs of ageing. It's why we don't really show the full complexity of motherhood. It's why we don't really maximise the creative potential and also the huge commercial opportunity of the disabled community. At some point in our lives, all Mm. of us are going to become disabled, but we are not designing the workplace for those people. So I think it's really important to be honest about the ecosystem we exist within. Because the media narrative in the creative industries is, is working from home killing creativity? It is not, why the fuck are we losing so much incredible female talent? Now, I want to be really honest. I personally... I love working in an office. Yeah, I love serendipitous chats. I am a very sociable person and I love to have that time connecting with my colleagues. I love in real life events. Mm -hmm. I love all of those things. But that doesn't mean that statistically that is the best way to work. And that doesn't mean that return to office mandates are the best thing for your creativity or your culture. And I think what's really fascinating 
is the disconnect between what companies are saying publicly mm. and then what is happening within those organisations. There are so many friction points in hybrid working and we're not being honest about yeah. those. And what's happening is we're getting a really entrenched debate. That debate is being very much dominated by the economic forces of return to the mm -hmm. office. Think about it. Dylan Jones, the editor of the Evening Standard, that business has a huge vested interest at the moment in saying not working in an office is killing London because it is killing the habit that people have yeah. of picking up the Evening Standard yeah. newspaper. It's killing their business model. Mm. But you need to evolve business models, not push back into a working world that is never going to be the same. Mm. The genie is out of the bottle. We cannot ram it back in. Yeah. And there's also so many really important economic points as well. My children are much older now. They're 10 and 8. I'm super privileged. I have a great childcare structure around me. I've got a supportive partner. I've got all those things in place. But research from Pregnant Then Screwed, it shows that the cost of that return to office is around £660 yeah. a month. Childcare costs in the UK are utterly crippling. And I feel the same about CEOs who don't understand the cost of childcare mm. as I do about politicians that don't understand the cost of a pint of milk. Yeah. And I think what is absolutely fascinating, particularly in the creative industries, is you have a lot of founder-led businesses or you have networks run by people who have really big personal brands and they have a real power on the organisations yeah. that they run. And there's a bit of a me-eo culture. So it's that 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 ref reflex action of, oh, I'd, you know, I'm trying, but I don't really like working from yeah. home. Yeah. And then mirroring that on an entire organisation mm. and using your personal discomfort with it as a statistical fact that hybrid working is making the work worse, yeah. which is just not based in any fact. So... My plea is really not to go so early with public statements of this is what we're doing mm. and it's completely fixed and actually really take the time to work out how do you work best for an entire organisation? Who are we losing in yeah. this? And there's some really interesting behavioural science behind some of these public declarations. I was talking to someone who runs a, a media agency and... Their staff were mostly going in three days a week. Right. But the mandated days were two days a week. When they changed that to mandating, you must go in on these three fixed days, the number of days people went in went down. Wow. So there's a massive gap between what people say mm. publicly and what's happening within their companies. And there's also a gap between what employees say and what they do. One of the things that I find really fascinating is all the stereotypes around mm. Gen Z workers. I mean, they're just, there are so many. Yeah. They are yeah. almost the most stereotyped generation in the workplace ever. Mm. And I've heard a lot of senior leaders say we need to have these enforced days in the office because of Gen Z, they need to learn. But I actually, when you look at that, is that what that generation actually wants? Mm. Is that what is intentionally happening within that organisation? Yeah. Are those young people getting access to senior leaders? Are they getting training? 
or are they sat in a little Zoom booth yes. on mute? Yeah. So I think it's a really... Such a good point. It's such a friction-filled space. Mm. And I understand the desire because we none of us are comfortable with ambiguity. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting the overwhelm that people feel if you give everything is choice, the choice overload to some degree. Yeah, totally. You decide when you come in. I think when we went through that process, we realised that if you let everyone decide that actually the, what people want to be is together, but you can't do that unless we say, OK, we're all going to yeah. come in on this day and maybe give some... So I guess the balance is all around a bit of flex, but people might want a little bit of structure as well. And it's maybe trying to find that Absolutely. balance. And the honest truth is you're not going to make everyone happy all of the time. And I think when we were all working on our own, we got a bit used to just having no friction in our lives. Like I find the behavioural changes really fascinating. Mm. We're not, you know, we've got train strikes at the moment, the ability to flex your travel plans. Mm -hmm. There's lots of things where as individuals, we need to get more comfortable with friction in our lives again. Mm. But there's also this massive truth that in COVID we lost so much. How can we just get rid of the phenomenal gains we've made in flexible working? Particularly in an industry where we are so dependent on our ability to connect with culture. We're never going to meaningfully connect with culture if we don't reflect it within our organisations. So that means for people like me, I have to look bigger than what works for me it's what works for everyone what yeah. works for diverse talent disabled talent what works for parents coming back from maternity leave mm. what works in a cost of living crisis where people can't afford to commute because i think the danger of what's happening in the creative industries at the moment is we're adopting the return to the office rhetoric of goldman sachs dinosaurs yeah, without yeah. the yeah. Goldman Sachs bonuses to go yeah, with it. Hundred percent. So it's just really important to be honest about that. I think the culture point you make is such a good one because it's strange that culture has been the thing that's almost been hijacked as to why we need to come back because culture can only happen when we're all in this space together and we've all got the things we've put in this physical office for you that bean bags and the smoothie make whatever is because that, that's somehow our culture that's who we are the things we've got written on the walls culture can't really exist when we're all at home in our thing which is just nonsense it's it's not that but it's often the thing that the stick beat for beat with to shoo them back into offices it's so fascinating and it's such i find the whole culture space really interesting mm. and it's something that we've seen a lot of at creative brief with brands specifically coming to us with briefs specifically around better connecting with culture, Mm. whether that's in a specific target audience or more generally. And I think that's going to be a key focus for brands moving forward. And at the same time, you have agencies who are very heavily investing in their agency brands, which I think is really important. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you have to make sure that your culture isn't about a brand on a deck, how people, where they sit, It's got to be bigger than that. It has to be more meaningful than that. And Mm. we are in a transitional stage of leadership in some way because we have to redefine how that culture shows up. How does it show up on a Teams meeting? How does it show up in a client briefing? How does it show up? And it's actually taking the time to really understand that your culture isn't what you say it is. It's how your employees experience it. And now they're experiencing that in very different spaces and places. Yeah. 
it's, it's that point you made earlier about Amy and Cindy Gallup, which is, it's not just about what you say, it's the behaviour, it's what you're doing, it's not the typeface that you've used to sort of articulate your brand. This stuff is a lot harder to do, to think about what does culture feel like we're all on Teams calls, but it's not an excuse yeah. not to do it. You can't just do the easy stuff. And also I think the interesting thing is that we have to show up in different ways mm. now. And I find personally showing up on virtual calls, sometimes it demands a lot more energy. Oh, 100%. It really does. So it actually means that you have to change the way you work. Mm. I often ask people, particularly when I'm in agencies, you know, has anyone had a working day in the last two years where you haven't had time to go to the loo? And most people put their hands up and say yes. And that is bonkers. Like we're fully grown adults. Like we have to take more personal responsibility for the way mm. that we design our days. And I think there was a lot of good intention within that. I think in the pandemic companies definitely started taking much more of a parental role. Yep. And that included an awful lot of meetings, very heavy meeting time. There's data from Microsoft Teams that shows from February 2020, there was a 252% increase in time spent on Microsoft Teams, wow. which is phenomenal. Wow. And I think now we do have to be a bit more mindful about how we're spending each other's times, yeah. particularly for junior talent, because... I often speak to young people. I'm really lucky to be a mentor for Wackle. And they are losing their voice in the workplace because they're constantly sitting in meetings in which they are not invited or given the space to contribute. Mm, passengers in these yeah, meetings. I think room meet is the term a lady right. used with me last week, which I just thought was fascinating because she was saying in real life that wouldn't happen because no. you wouldn't have that number of people you'd have to get such a huge meeting room and the ridiculousness of it would be very clear, but it's not so clear on Teams. God. And there's something about the being in the room, making yourself known that isn't a substitute for a virtual hand going up. If you even feel like you can do that yeah. in a big online meeting, but oh, I like room mate. Yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> can we talk a bit about, you mentioned return to work previously, You've been very open recently on LinkedIn, talking on podcasts about your own return to work. You talk about two times in your career yeah. where you feel like you had a, a crisis of confidence. One of them is when you went when you went back to work after maternity. I'm fascinated to know what brought you to a decision to share that because you'd mentioned you'd not yeah. really shared it with anyone before. How did you get to a place where you felt like you wanted to share that? I think I realised that it's been a decade since I first returned to work after my first maternity leave mm. and not much has changed. And I think part of the reason that not much has changed and part of the reason that we're being so extravagant with this opportunity to make the workplace so flexible mm. is because we aren't telling the truth about our experiences. Definitely from my experience working as a facilitator with Good Shout, we see a lot of women who are essentially stuck on pause to some degree because they've had some feedback or they've had a transition in their life, like coming back from maternity leave, which has made them feel really insecure. Mm. And often we would work with women and they were holding on feedback that they got years and years ago when they came back from maternity leave or they're worried about something that actually the feedback that they were given was more about the person giving the feedback right. than their actual performance. Mm. 
And I just realised that actually there's a generosity in actually being honest because I learned so much from them yeah. when they were opening up about yeah. why they were saying no to speaking on panels or why they felt that they didn't have something worthwhile to say. So much of it was down to self-editing or holding on to criticism that they'd received. So I think it's really important to be honest about that. I also think there is a genuine issue in that our generation in the workplace perhaps didn't do enough. And we didn't call out the inflexibility often yeah. within my own career. The flexibility afforded to me was a concession for me. It wasn't like a structural mm. change to the business mm. that would make it better for the next generation coming through. And mm. I think there is a responsibility, mm. particularly you know, I'm at a stage of my life now where I don't have that sweaty palmed run to the nursery. I have a lot more freedom. Mm. And I think when you're in the thick of that fog of returning to work, particularly now, I mean, the, the UK is facing a childcare crisis. 100%. It's the second most yeah. expensive country in the world. Structurally and economically, it's actually harder now than it was a decade ago the only difference being the flexible working gains of COVID, which we're pushing back so hard against. Yeah, yeah, so I think yeah. it's really on, really on the people that have been through that to be honest about that, because the majority of people who've been through that statistically are no longer in our industry. The biggest voice is the voice that's no longer there. Mm. So I think that's quite powerful and quite compelling reason to yeah. actually challenge some of this thinking even when it costs you something and it does it really does everyone I know that has spoken publicly about this has had some form of feedback which effectively is dialed down the working mum so it's definitely not without its sharp edges yeah. I think it's really important to be equally honest about the cost of speaking up as yeah. well you said that when you came back you felt like you were effectively on mute did anyone around you recognise that in you? Were there other returning mums who saw yeah. that in you? Were there people you felt like, did you know it yourself at the time or is it only on looking back now you can see it? I think looking back on it, I have a lot more perspective mm. and that's something that I would really share with people. And I was so lucky because I had incredible female editors that were getting rid of those sharp edges for me right. that were saying, have you considered doing this? look at, you could flex your hours like this. Like mm. they were so committed yeah. to making it possible for me to transition back into the work and also keeping in touch days. You know, I did things like speak on panels and like keeping in touch days. Like they took yeah, every amazing. opportunity yeah. to make that transition mm. as good as it could be. And I still found it hard. So mm. when I think about that, I think, wow, what are we putting in place for people coming back now, like, what are we doing differently? How are we creating that space for people to feel heard and supported? And I think it was interesting at the time because my second maternity leave, I left and I came back to a new magazine and I was working on a magazine called Campaign. Yeah. And I was reading campaigns before I came back because obviously I hadn't worked on the magazine previously. So I wanted to get into the content and there was an interview with Sir John Hegarty in which he explained that the reason why women weren't making it to the top of the creative industries because was because they went on maternity leave and then they lost 
their relevance. The industry moved on and they didn't, right. obviously. People stopped having yeah. babies and didn't need <laughs> consumable products for children anymore. But at that stage, that was presented as a completely normal thing, an acceptable thing to say. Nobody said, hang on a minute, that's completely batshit. Have you heard of Jessica Ennis-Hill? It just sort of was allowed to just sit there, just as unchallenged. And I think that's the bigger point as well in terms of the industry narrative. Mm. And we still perpetuate those stereotypes that women are dropping out, that women are less ambitious after they have children. And I think that side of things is really suffocating, regardless of what brilliant policies your individual company or your line manager might have. And that is the number one thing that I would say to anyone is that the biggest impact on your return from maternity leave is your line manager. And we are in an industry devoid of formal training in management. That is having a really negative effect on women's careers because when I look back over that time, it was the compassion of my line managers and editors at that time that built a bridge over all my personal insecurities. Mm. So I think that side of things is really important. And I think the truth is we're all so busy. It's the sharp edge of that hybrid working we were talking about before. If you've got a day where you don't have time to go to the toilet, how the hell have you got time to think about if you're one of your team members returning from maternity leave is having an okay day? So I think really looking at formal training options, good shout, we're launching Good Return, which is to support women back to the workplace, really having that intention of setting that person up to succeed and also looking at the broader media narrative, setting that person up to succeed is not sending out press releases saying that your working patterns are this, when actually flexibility, particularly in that transition period, is so key to creating a system and structure in which that person is able to thrive. Yeah. Um, How can people learn more about The Good Return? Um, So on the Good Shout website, email me, nicola at goodshoutcommunity.com. Great. We have lots of different training courses, but The Good Return is something I'm super, super passionate about because we need those women to stay. We need them to stay. Mm. They have a unique point of view They've just gone through this huge change in their lives. And we talk about transformation. There is few things as transformative as becoming a parent. Yet the narrative we dress that up in is, oh, you've lost your relevance. But actually what you've done is you've gained this huge experience, which has huge commercial and creative relevance within our industry. So we really need to challenge that Mm. as a community, as an industry, and do things a bit differently. There was a story in the Times at the weekend I was seeing getting lots of traction on LinkedIn about dads getting a raw deal in this as well. That was such a great article. (laughs) And I think this is such a huge area Mm. of development. I think there's some really good things happening in this space. But the truth is shared parental leave is not a great piece of legislation. Yeah. I think the tendency is to blame the dads and say, oh, they're not taking it up, it's their fault. But it's just not a piece of legislation that is built to get people to do it. It's just built to tick a box. And I think we really need to be really inclusive about this. And some of the most progressive policies I've seen at agencies like AMV, BBDO and Habas, they really are offering more to 
mums and dads. And that's what we need. Yeah. That's what we need in the workplace. I was working with a lady called Dominique Daly from Hope and Glory PR, and she said something that really stuck in my head of just making a micro change of ensuring that the dads get the phone calls first from mm. the nursery if your child is sick or from the school. And it's that cultural change that I think actually the creative industries could have a huge role in. And also not stereotyping dads in advertising, yeah. you know, this sort of myth of this complete incompetent moron. Yeah. It's really offensive. And I think it's really important that when we have these conversations, we hold the two things together. At the moment, this issue disproportionately impacts mothers. But that doesn't mean that there's a huge issue mm. for fathers in the workplace who in many ways are being held back by the same stereotypes. I was talking to a CMO the other day who'd had a real sort of pushback from his CFO because he said that, you know, he had to have that afternoon off to go and watch his son's concert. Mm. I was like, well, what's your wife doing? It's like, that's wow. not, that isn't okay. Wow. And in those micro moments for those dads to show up and to show their teams that that's not okay, yeah. they need support and they need to be supported by the women in their organisations as well. Because some of those examples that I've heard about, it's actually been women being quite negative towards men who are taking shared parental leave mm. or who are leaving to go and pick up a sick kid. It's not acceptable to say, where's your wife? Just as it's not acceptable to say to a woman, where's your husband? You know, there's yeah. single parents, there's lots and lots of different shaped families. Mm. And I think it's just about being a bit kinder to everybody. Yeah. You seem so sort of well put together on this. I mean, it's almost like I'm writing down the things you've done, like Flexible First and you've done Dice and now we've got a good return. I mean, you're someone who gets stuff done. Ali Hannon on LinkedIn describes you as a fearsome advocate, but you're also someone who can get stuff done. What is it about you, do you think, that sort of lights that fire in you that thinks... I want to change this stuff. And I would get very sort of emotionally thinking, I want, there's something in you that has this ability to go, well, I'm going to put stuff in place or I'm going to talk about it in this very articulate way. What is it, do you think? I, I mean, just, it's brilliant. We just need oh, it bottled. It's incredible. I just really have a genuine passion for change. Mm. I think that there are so many brilliant women that I come across all the time that have been squeezed out of our industry for various reasons. And a lot of the organisations you mentioned, like Creative Equals, is finding those organisations that are already doing brilliant yeah. work, being part of WACL. These are organisations that are really making space and doing things differently. And there's an energy that comes from that as well, mm -hmm. right? Because I think particularly at the moment, we're in this era where we're just in this busy off. It's, oh, I'm so busy. I, can't, I don't even have time to pee. But actually doing these things gives you energy, and one of the things that I've always said as a journalist has been my kryptonite is generic statements. Right. And there are a lot of generic <laughs> statements in advertising. No one really knows what they're talking about a lot of yeah. the time. You know, yeah. you see these words, they mean nothing and nothing really connects. But actually, once you really talk to people about the challenges that they're facing in the workplace or what flexible working looks like for them. Mm. It actually opens your own mind as yeah. well, because particularly the generational shift that's happening in the workplace at the moment, 
I think we're all really underestimating it. Yeah, 100%. So often I see companies saying we've got all the answers when the truth is we need to just ask each other better questions. Yeah. And I wonder if we are a bit more comfortable talking about stuff, maybe stuff that we, you know, holding some tension about stuff or some discomfort about, you know, do I need to be... Bruce Daisy described it as sort of, you know, the 18th century mill owner who wants people backmanning the looms because <laughs> yeah. if I can't see you doing the work, how is the work possibly happening? Like, we just need to sit a bit better with that tension if we're leaders and managers. And last question, profound one, of course. You mentioned, you know, took your decade to start talking about returning to work and it didn't feel like much had changed. What sort of gives you hope from this place forth in terms of... I think we're having much better conversations around this topic now. Mm. And I think it is also economic forces. You know, people are struggling to maintain their office footprints. And my argument is spend less time thinking about your office footprint and more time thinking about the people within that office. I think there's a huge stereotyping going on of Generation Z. Mm -hmm. But when I talk to younger people, I feel so much hope because they have different values. They have a different approach, a different level of energy. They have more squiggly careers. And I think that's going to be a really positive thing for the industry. I also think that it's really important to say that what we expect of CEOs and leaders is unfair. It's very difficult to lead organisations at the moment. But I think the thing that really gives me hope is when you look to organisations like Havas and you see leaders like Zav Reese or Sam Hawkey at AMVBBDO, these are people doing things differently. And my final point is just the transparency that has come in. So I'm super old. So I started out in journalism and I remember doing, I did my master's in multimedia journalism and it only got accredited by the Broadcast Training Journalism Council halfway through because right. the internet was such a new thing. Right. And when I went into journalism, it was very much, oh, save the good stories for the magazine. Right, right. And, you know, <laughs> we'll put what people don't really want online, <laughs> yeah. which sounds bonkers now. And I, I remember at the time thinking, I don't really believe you when they were <laughs> saying that. I just knew it was wrong. And I feel the same about the future of work. Mm. So I'm hearing a lot of CEOs saying what their strategy is. And there's a lot of the strategy is back to what it was prior to COVID. And again, I have this strong sense of, I do not believe you. It is changing. Whether you want to push against that change or Mm. push for it is the question. But in my mind, there's no doubt that the industry is becoming more flexible And it is going to become more diverse and more impactful and more culturally relevant because of that. But there is an element of pushing some of that water up the hill to make it happen. Yeah, (laughs) Amazing. Nikki, thank you so much. Such a brilliant conversation. Thank you for coming and sharing it with us. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. Nikki Kemp from Creative Brief there. I said it at the end of the conversation, but when Nikki talks about flexible working or making event lineups more diverse or about how we get better at supporting parents returning to work there is just this clarity it's so obvious that she's really passionate about these things but she's so so clear about what needs to change and then can go about putting things in place like 
dice like The Good Return that will make a real difference. I mean, such an engaging conversation. I thought she was absolutely brilliant. Now, as you listen to this episode, we're in week three of our month-long series of Upfront. So far, we've been wowed by Amazon Ads, Uber, BBC Studios and Lad Bible Group. This week, it's the turn of YouTube and Snap. And then, on to our own specialist Upfronts down at the Steel Yard in the city on podcast, gaming, retail media and connected TV. You can check out to see what's still available to attend and at iabuk.com forward slash upfronts where you can find out more about who you can expect to see over the next couple of weeks and what you can look forward to in terms of launches and brand new stuff for now though thanks very much for listening iab uk building a sustainable future for digital advertising